The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who has, was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The word of God. So the season of Advent uh, is a season of preparation. It's a season of, of anticipation for what God is going to do. It's a season of, of waiting. Um, I really like uh, how, how much scripture ties it into light entering into darkness. So it's a season uh, where we step back and, and we think of, of a world maybe even without Christ, a world without Jesus and, and what it would be like. And, and then we, we can imagine uh, this, this glimmer of light entering into this dark world, into this, uh, this place. And this, this theme of light into darkness is all over in Scripture. I, I quickly looked it up this week, a simple Google search, and, and it came up with like 65 verses, uh, Old Testament into New Testament, that it said, uh, if you want to preach on light into darkness, that's what I was looking up, uh, it said, here's 65 verses you could preach from. Right? So, verse one, no. <laughs> Uh, but, but that's the truth. It's just all through Scripture. It's just woven uh, throughout all of it. And it all points to Jesus, and it points uh, to Christmas, and it points to this moment. But I am, I'm going to read, uh, actually, just a couple of them for you here, because uh, I think it's important as we look. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, Matthew actually quotes uh, the prophet Isaiah, and he says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned. And then John 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So it's interesting, we're, we're in, a, in a church setting, and in a church setting we talk about Advent as, as light entering into darkness, we talk about waiting, we talk about preparation, we talk about slowing down, and then as soon as you leave these doors, uh, the Christmas season feels pretty different, right? As, as soon as you walk out there, or maybe before you came in, or maybe in your mind right now as you're sitting here and you got your to-do list and you got... You know, do I have the right presence for the right people? Have, have I found the perfect thing yet? Um, it's like this season of preparation, this season of waiting, uh, just kind of gets shoved to the side and becomes a season of busyness. Uh, 
and it becomes a season of, of rushing around, and, and is my checklist done, and is it not? And, and maybe if that's not who you are, you should check with your significant other uh, to see if that's not what it's like for them. Uh, maybe you could do some of that together. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's amazing. It, it almost feels like two different worlds. It feels like we have the, the season of Advent in the Bible, and then we have the season of, of I guess, Advent, but but in our world today, the, the season of, of often anxiety, the season of rushing around, the season of, of feeling like uh, it needs to be the perfect Christmas and all that weight and, and all that is on your shoulders. And, and it feels like many of us, by the time we get to Christmas Eve, by the time we get to Christmas Day, we're way past like limping on our way. We're like barely crawling still. Right, we've just been crushed by this weight, and we get there, we can maybe breathe a sigh of relief, or maybe it takes you like two, three weeks afterwards, and you'd be like, "Wow, that was that was a it was good, but that was a busy season." And that seems to be the pretty common American story. And and yet, Scripture points us to something different. When we look at the Bible, it points us to this awareness that that there's this darkness without Jesus. And, and we're supposed to slow down, and we're supposed to appreciate what's going on in the world. And, and into that darkness is where Jesus comes. Into that darkness is where the light comes. And, and I think if we rush enough that, that we don't even see that whole message. And I don't want to make you raise hands, but I'm just curious on how many of us in our past have rushed through Christmas seasons and gotten all the way to the end and been like, well, that was busy, but I missed Jesus. That, that was busy, but, but there was nothing about a savior that happened in my life. If anything, I saved Christmas myself by holding up all the weight, by, by keeping it all together, by, by keeping the family together and having them not even argue at the Christmas dinner. Uh, I saved Christmas, right? I mean, it feels like, feels like that's so common. So uh, this, this season, this sermon series that we're in, we're going to try to slow down intentionally. We're going to look at different key uh, characters, different key people in the Christmas message throughout the Gospels, and, and we're going to kind of do a, a little more of a deep dive into each individual, each, each person, and see if that can help shine light on the whole season, something that we haven't noticed, something that we haven't seen. So last week, uh, we talked about some of the prophets in the Old Testament that looked forward uh, to this light that is to come. Today, uh, we're going to focus on one of the, really the most in people, important people in the Christmas story, and that's Mary. So Mary, I think, if we're just fair, is a very unsung hero in the Protestant church. And just to be honest, I think it's because the Catholic church makes such a big deal about Mary. Right, so, so kind of in reaction, uh, those of us that come from a, a more Protestant tradition, we kind of ignore Mary, or we, we say, yeah, that, that part was fine, but, uh, but there wasn't a whole lot going on there. You know, it's almost like the pendulum has swung the other direction. But, but I think it is right to to pause at least some and to look at Mary because there's something really important going on here, really important about the message of Jesus, who it is that Jesus came to in the world and, and what it looks like to get the, a calling from God and to humbly accept that, to get, to get a specific calling from God and, and to not uh, run away, to not be like Moses who gave, I don't know how many excuses. Uh, when you read in the book of Exodus, God is calling him to something special and he says, no, not me. And and, and I, I don't speak well, and, and all these things. He goes through this whole list, and then eventually God, like, drags him along. Is kind of what it feels like. 
Or we get Gideon in, in the Old Testament also, and Gideon uh, is called by something special, or called to do something special uh, for God, and he spends, I don't know, three, four, five times where he tests God. Is, is, is God really going to do this? If I, if I do my end of the bargain, is God going to live up to his end of, of this deal? And he's talking about rescuing his people from this invading army, and Gideon tests God over and over again. We see a lot of these stories, or we have even worse, Jonah, who receives a call from God and literally runs the opposite direction. Uh, and in his, his view of the world, his understanding of the world, he thought maybe if I could get far enough from the land where God is, that, then this God would stop bothering me, and I could just live my own life, right? And, and yet, we, in the New Testament, we get to Mary, and when she answers the angel, that was just, it was just read for you, the very end of the verse, she answers this calling from God, and all she says is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So there is something significant that, that we can pause and think about there. We just got through with the sermon series on reading uh, biblical narrative, reading biblical story. One of the important pieces of understanding things in the Bible is understanding characters in the Bible, just meaning people. Um, and, and one of the big things with understanding a person in Scripture is understanding their name. So we don't really get that a lot in our culture. I mean, I'm, I'm just named after my two grandfathers, uh, first and middle name. And, and that's, that's pretty common for a lot of Americans. Or, or your family just said, oh, that's a nice name. <laughs> and they just picked it. You know, but sometimes there's more significance, but not like in the Bible. In the Bible, names are a big deal. And they communicate something, particularly something that, that is a hope or is a fear at the time that you were born. Right? So this is really important. So... So when we look at Mary, the first thing we know in this text is that her name is Mary. And maybe you haven't given much thought to that. If, if, if many Christians, if you're just going to guess what the name Mary meant, knowing this, knowing that it's going to say something about her life, that it's going to say something about who she is, I think many people in America would just say, I don't know, she who is blessed, or you know, something like that. Uh, it's, it's pretty common. But it actually is much deeper. It's much, much deeper. The, the name Jesus, for example, means the Lord is salvation. Right? So, so all you need to do is know his name, and you kind of get what's, what's going to happen. So she so says, the baby's going to be born, and he's, you're going to name him Jesus. And Mary understands that. She knows what's going forward. So, so what does Mary mean? There's this scholar, Boaz Johnson, who has this book called The Marys of the Bible. And it's not just about those who are named Mary. While there's a lot of those, I don't know if you've noticed, especially in the New Testament, there's a lot of people named Mary. Um, the Marys of the Bible is about people that live into that identity, what it means to be a Mary. And, and the name Mary, it doesn't mean the blessed one. It means the bitter one. That's actually what that name means. It means the bitter one. And it doesn't mean that Mary's life, her whole life, was bitter, it means that, that she was going to be born into a really hard, really difficult situation. Imagine, if you will, you're, you're living in the first century world, and, and you're going to have a baby, and of course, they don't know the gender of the baby before it's born, right? And, and their lives are so difficult. They're living under this oppressive Roman Empire, and, 
And don't believe the movies when you watch about like Roman stuff. You hear about like, oh, they spread culture and they, they spread this. That's not what it was like to live under the power of the Roman Empire. They ruled with fear. And, and they ruled with terror and murder. And, and often the younger women had it the worst. And I don't really feel like in this setting to get into the details, but I think, I think you kind of know what I'm saying, right? They lived in this world, and it was, it was full of terror, it was full of hate, it was full of oppression, and, and the younger women had it so bad that one of the first things that we hear about Mary is that she's a virgin. Do you ever think about that? She's probably about 16. But yet it's important to say in the beginning of the story that she's a virgin. Why? Because that, that is part of this Roman machine. That is part of oppressing this population. And, and when this little girl, when this baby was born, her mother looked at her. Her mother looked at her and said, your life is going to be bitter. Your life is going to be hard. So what's, what's in a name? There's a lot in a name, right? There's a lot hidden just, just within this. This name Mary is the same Hebrew name as Miriam. And, and in the book of Ruth, it's the same name that is used as Mara. Now real quickly, in the book of Ruth, Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth are returning after they, they go to Moab and and the husbands uh, die, and then her two sons die, and she's left with, with just two daughter-in-laws, and one of them leaves, and, and the other one says, I will stay with you. And Naomi returns back to Bethlehem, and, and the people of Bethlehem see her coming. They don't know her story yet, but they see her coming, and they rush to her, and they say, Naomi, we're, we're so excited to see you. And Naomi replies, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. This is the same name. Another famous example in the Old Testament, Miriam. Miriam is Moses' sister, right? She's the one that takes baby Moses and puts him in the basket and floats him down the river. Miriam is born into slavery in Egypt. When Miriam is born, her mother said the same thing. Your life is going to be so hard. Your life is going to be so difficult. You will be Miriam. You will be Mary. And the story continues this way through, through the Bible, and it, it continues on and on and on. Women have uh, this extremely difficult time in their world. And yet we get to the New Testament, and when we talk about Mary, one of the common questions is, why is there so many people named Mary in the New Testament? Why is there so many women, so many girls, and, and particularly we're talking about women and girls that are often not of high social status, right? These are the people that are drawn to Jesus. These are the people that are following him. It's, it's these poor women, these poor girls that are born and over and over and over again, we can see the story play out where, where moms and dads look at this little baby and they name them Mary. 
They say, your life is going to be really difficult. This is going to be really hard. Your life is going to be a bitter life. So that's the first reason why there's so many Marys in the New Testament. The second reason is is almost kind of the flip side of the same coin, if you will. So the second reason that there's so many Marys when we read through the Bible is because we're reading about people that were drawn to Jesus. We're not just getting an even shot of all of society, right? We're, We're learning about the people that walked alongside Jesus, that followed him, that were his disciples, that that sought after him. And of course, when we talk about light entering into the darkness, of course, Marys show up. Over and over again, women named Mary are following Jesus. When when Jesus is crucified, it's women named Mary that are gathered around. When Jesus is arrested, along with the disciples are, are women named Mary who are there. When Jesus' body is taken down and prepared for the tomb, it is done by women named Mary. And three days later, we're told that women named Mary come to the tomb to give him his final funeral rites and discover an empty tomb and go away proclaiming the good news that Jesus has risen. So we have a lot of Marys that are living in their, in their world, but we also have a lot of Marys that are drawn to Jesus, that are seeking after Jesus. That, that it's no coincidence that we look at it, and the Marys of the world are people that are looking for light in the darkness. They're looking for a savior of the world. And here, in the beginning of Luke's gospel, we hear of a young woman named Mary. A young woman named Mary who receives great news. Now this particular Mary, we're told a little bit more about, we're told that she's from this lowly town named Nazareth. Now those of us that that have been in church a long time, we know the city of Nazareth, and and it sounds familiar to us, but but that's just because it's here. (laughs) That's not because it's significant, at least in their own minds. It's It's not because this is some grand town. It's, it's precisely its, its commonness that makes it significant here. So we have this, this woman named Mary, and she's living in this common, unnoticed, poor region of Galilee in a town named Nazareth. And she has most likely experienced bitter hardship in her life. And we know that she's betrothed or she's engaged to a man named Joseph. And in history, and in, in looking back at this time, it's, it, that can happen as young as about 13, but typically more like 15, 16. So she's probably about a 15 or 16-year-old. And she's engaged to Joseph and And being uh, betrothed in their time is not the same as with us. You know, normally people now, they they get engaged, and it's set up by the couple. It's not set up by, like, the family kind of thing. And and they get engaged, and then it's just this time of planning. It's it's kind of this exciting time of getting ready for a wedding, right? And and maybe they're still feeling out the relationship a little bit, and and it's like, if you're going to break it off, like, now's the time. You know, kind of thing, right? Like, that's kind of how our view of it. Uh, 
to be engaged in their time was actually this legal engagement. It, it, legally, it was the same par as being married, right? So, the, so they're paired up. They're, they're engaged. It lasts typically 12 months. Uh, it's this, this formal process of, of you will be married, but you're not married yet. It lasts a full year, but, but it's, it's just as high up there, legal, legally speaking, as being, uh, as being married. So uh, she's, she's engaged to this man named Joseph, and then an angel comes to her. And let me read it for you once again. Let's see if anything else stands out to you now with a, a little more background information. This is Luke Chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Did you feel that that tension going on there, this this woman who is named bitterness, that is, is told from the time she was born that her, her world will be a bitter world, that it will be a hard world. She's growing up in this, this hard setting, and yet this angel comes to her bringing good news. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> like, like, think of, I mean, these angels, they're not like Cupid kind of thing. That, that's like something else. Like, this is like a, a powerful warrior of God that shows up, and, and almost every time they show up in the Bible, they have to tell the person not to be afraid. 
You ever notice that? So what does that mean? It means they're frightening, right? <laughs> There's something about the, maybe it's the holiness, maybe it's just their presence, maybe something that's going on that, that this angel shows up to her, and, and like all the other times, it, it says, do not be afraid, Mary. God is going to do something really special here. And, and God has chosen to use you. You who are highly favored by God. And the angel comes to her and, and her response is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Mary then goes on in uh, a couple verses later in the, in the other half of Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55 to, uh, to say out loud or to sing what commonly uh, gets labeled as Mary's song. So this is verses 46 through 55. And in verse 48, she says something really significant. She says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. We kind of, we kind of, you just read in English, you kind of read right past it, right? You just, you just don't even really notice because you don't notice that all generations before were calling her bitter. Her name was bitter, and she says, from now on, I will be called blessed. It's like the reversal of, of what Naomi did, right, when she returned to Bethlehem. Naomi left, and she had this, this really hard life, and she comes back, and, and the people start calling her Naomi, which means pleasant, and she says, no, call me Mara, call me Mary, because my life has been bitter. And then here on the other side, you have this, this young woman that has been born into the world, and she's been told her entire life, like, your life is going to be bitter. It's going to be hard, and it's not just that like her parents were negative. It's that her parents were realistic. So they're not like saying your life is going to be like this. We're like prescribing it to you. They're just describing what they think is going to happen. All the logic of the world for their time says that this little baby should be named Mary. That her life is going to be bitter. Her life is going to be difficult. This is going to be really hard. And, and there's even a sentiment in here that, that we're so sorry you were born a little girl. That this is going to be a difficult life. And yet here we have in her own song, and, and this is after the angel has come to her, she said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. All generations will call me one who has been blessed by God. Because God entered into her difficult life in, in a really radical way. Now, what's really exciting about this when we come across the Christmas season, when we enter into this time, is that Mary's not alone here. There's a lot of people in our world today, a lot of people uh, growing up who, who either should be named Mary or, or are. I mean, it's just like, a, it's a bitter world. It's a bitter life, and, and people have had a hard time, and, and they feel like they're just in that darkness, and there's no light, and there's no hope, and that's that's the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is those living in darkness have seen a great light. That those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Christmas is really, really good news for the Marys of the world, whether they're named Mary or not. Right? Christmas is really good news for 
for those of us that, that have been through the hardships of life, that have seen the difficult times, that have walked a dark path. And yet light enters into the darkness, and not, not just like through the side door, right? like, like God chooses a Mary to do it. <laughs> it's intentional. <laughs> this is all on purpose. It's, it's not a coincidence that there's so many Marys in the New Testament. These are the people that are drawn to Jesus. These are people that are drawn to a Savior, drawn to, to hope and peace and joy and love. So my, my worry in our busyness, my worry in our, uh, our rushing around and our trying to find the perfect gift and, and all this stuff is that we'll just miss it, right? That we'll miss what's actually going on, that, that the church has set aside the season of Advent and intentionally because they think way back in the day when this was first set up, they thought that it would take you a month to get ready for Christmas. It's not like a day thing. They said, let's let's do this whole season. Let's do this this four Sundays leading up to prepare ourselves, to get ready for this good news, to to kind of step back and give an honest view at the world around us, the view of the world we're living in, and, and to even see the darkness so that we can fully see the light, to see what's going on around us. Here's the rest of Mary's song. So Mary hears this wonderful news. She says, may your word be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. Uh, And then there's a little spot where she visits Elizabeth uh, here in chapter 1. And then verse 46, it goes on to Mary's song. And here's what she says. My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. There's just so much depth there. There's so much richness. Just just think of this. So I know I've said it before, but there's this this young woman named Mary, right? And, and her life is, is not necessarily reversal of that name up to this point. She's had hardship. She's been living in this, this poor corner of the world under this oppressive 
Empire. And yet she's met by God in a special way. And and Jesus is born to this Mary, to a Mary of the world. Jesus comes in. And as he teaches and as he leads and as people follow him, it's, it's oftentimes many other Marys of the world that seek after him, that, that follow him, that need this good news, that need this, this message of hope, this message of light into the darkness. And many of these women are present at Jesus' crucifixion. They are the ones there in the crowd. They're the ones that didn't scatter. They're the ones that stay by his side. And it's many of these Marys that assist him directly in in his burial, in his placement in the tomb. And on Easter, it's these Marys that, that arrive three days later to finish the anointing process and find an empty tomb and are the first people to hear of the resurrection, to see it with their own eyes, to to see this good news that we're called to preach out to the whole world. And they turn around and it's the Marys of the world that come back to the disciples, that are the first ones that preach that gospel, that are the very first ones that preach that good news. So if you're feeling bitter this year, I have good news for you, <laughs> right? If, if this hits close to home, and I don't, I don't know what's going on in all of your lives, and, and I don't know, uh, but you do, right? And I believe God does, and, and it's, it's to this kind of setting that, that Jesus came in the first place. This isn't some side story of the Bible. This, this is the main thing. It's into this world. That Jesus came. Whatever you're experiencing, that, that is the light into the darkness. That is him breaking in to the world. I find it really good news that Christmas, in this entire season, this is a season for Marys. This is a season for the Marys of the world, for those that have become bitter over time. For those that have been living in darkness. It's precisely this time, this season, that is, that is geared for them. That is geared for, for restoration. That is geared for healing. That is geared for bringing peace and, and hope and love and joy. 